Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Jamal Marshall. Jamal is a counselor and a consultant and also another podcast host. He is a CEO of Listen Then Speak, LLC. He helps coaches and managers tackle burnout, codependency, and people-pleasing at the root. And he has developed proven methods that 2Xs their time and maximizes productivity. He also said he's addicted to cheesecake. So if you're in the D.C. area, that has got to be on the menu. So let's jump right in. All right, Jamal, I'm so excited to have you on today because it's all about people and marketing and two of my favorite subjects. So welcome. Thanks for having me so much, Linda. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be fun because marketing is all about how you work with people and everything that you do as a counselor, consultant. I don't know if you said this, I've had other people on talk about psychology, like, oh, what does this have to do with copywriting and and marketing? It has everything to do with it because how do people make decisions, right? I mean, what do we... If you, the better you understand people, the easier it is to help them or present what your product is or solution so that they understand it. But I do have to get into one thing you mentioned in your bio that's of interest to me. You said you're addicted to cheesecake. So I need to know the story behind that and what kind of cheesecake. So what's the story? All right. You got me spilling the tea already, Linda. But- <laughs> <laughs> I I love cheesecake. I'm obsessed with it. I'm addicted to it. Even when I'm on the most strict diet plan, I will find that one or two cheat days to find a way to eat cheesecake somehow, some way. And I love French cheesecake. I mean, obviously New York is like, that's the cheesecake, but French cheesecake is like, it takes the edge off of kind of that sharpness Uh um, that New York cheesecake has. And it's a little bit lighter on the tummy, but New York, I prefer the crust uh, with New York cheesecake. So I'm just if ever I'm out to eat with someone, the way to my heart is through cheesecake. You, I will be a complete sucker for you. I'll set aside all of my boundaries. It's <laughs> <laughs> not even a game. And you know what's funny? Uh, I used to be a pastry chef. I don't know if you know this from way oh. back when. I'm one of these serial entrepreneurs. I've done all kinds of things. And for a while, I was a pastry chef in a restaurant and I owned a bakery of all things. I say of all things because then I ended up being a fitness personal trainer. So it kind of was in conflict, but I used to do a Bailey's Irish cream cheesecake, but it was heavy, but it sold. And it was, I mean, how can you go wrong? You could take those ingredients, throw them in a bowl with a spoon, not even cook it and still be good. (laughs) Now my mind is a completely different place. I'm like, okay, remember you have to provide value here. (laughs) I've distracted you already. All right. Well, jumping back into the subject at hand, which is almost as interesting as cheesecake, maybe not quite. I know that you deal or you help people with burnout. You said people-pleasing and codependency. Is there one particular one of those that is relevant more to marketers that they tend to get into more than, than others? I think when it comes to marketing, obviously the, the burnout will probably be the thing that's most synonymous is because you're pushing whatever your product or your content is to the wider audience. And you're doing your, obviously we'll talk about psychograph- psychographics later, but you're doing that to figure out who am I marketing to? Who is my audience? Who is my people? And you may even take some of your past clients and do that client clarity to find out what was their pain points? What are their problem points? What are their pleasure points? Sifting through all that information, going through all the marketing classes, taking, you know, you know what marketers do, and then all this information, we're in the age of information. 
and we also had AI. So I would say burnout would probably be the thing that's most synonymous with pushing so much information out. And maybe sometimes it sticks, maybe it doesn't. All the ideas that new marketers have of, let me just find out what works. You know how the early entrepreneurship journey is. You just mm-hmm. you just kind of go for it. You throw crap at a wall and see what sticks. Or you may even hire a bad coach that doesn't know what they're talking about, that doesn't really have good experience in the market themselves, or they found something that works for them, but not something that's industry agnostic enough to work for you. So mm-hmm. burnout is definitely synonymous with marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also say the people pleasing too, because the yeah. desire, obviously you, you want to get into the head of your ideal client. And, you know, we both know from entrepreneurship, when you speak to everyone, you speak to no one, you want to target who your audience is. And so I think sometimes with marketers, it can be the issue of marketing to everyone and not establishing your convictions. Because if it's not something you're conviction con- convicted, mm-hmm. and I don't want to use the P word, but I'm going to use that for lack of better rhetoric, passionate about, you're not going to stick with it. You'll be marketing something and putting something out there that you yourself have no convictions about. It's not attached to your why. It's not attached to why you're here, why you're walking this earth. And even if you're getting clients, it's not sustainable because there's no fire behind it. There's no air to it. There's no authority there. Right. And so even the people pleasing will cause you to run with circles and even networking with people who aren't your ideal clients. And then you may find yourself in a situation that just you end up wasting a lot of time, energy and revenue. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's interesting because on LinkedIn, I had asked in a post a while ago, if could you sell something that you didn't believe in? And this is kind of along the same line. And it was very divided. I was sort of surprised. I thought it would be overwhelmingly, I couldn't do it. But a lot of people are like, well, it depends. Or, you know, I do it all the time or I've done it before. And this is a lot of it with salespeople responding. Personally, I couldn't. But people pleasing, um, what I was thinking about is also working with people that you're always trying to please, but you're not getting what you need. Is that like a different part of that? Or is that sort of? Let's just speak from a revenue standpoint and also from a time standpoint, because you can 2x your time when you obviously know who's in front of you, the way they're thinking, but also the core and the depth of what you believe. And so if you're the type and and you have that personality, mostly the impasse, um, you'll typically tend to not advocate for yourself. And you'll also leave money on the table. So let's just say from a recruiting standpoint and from a talent acquisition standpoint, because they're career coaches, I'm sure that listen to your podcast, you will find yourself leaving money on the table because you'll look at someone's reaction to what you're saying or what you're presenting and say, oh, they don't like this. So let me mm-hmm. let me change the narrative here. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you stuck to that narrative, you may have found out even there, there may be a few that don't like it. There's someone that's drawn to it. Let's right. just go for the mathematical standpoint, the 7.8 billion people and counting. Out of that pie, you're not going to reach 7.8 billion people, but there's a piece of that pie that's specifically for you. Mm-hmm. If you're the type who you have a, a background and there may be some traumatic events or stockpiled events in your life where you do please people, you'll find yourself drawn to people in a sense who take from you and you'll find yourself giving and giving. And then you're full of resentment and you're wondering, how did I waste time, money and revenue in an area that was not fit for me? Right. I've seen that happen. I mean, it's it's probably there seems to be certain personality types too that are more like that, correct? Mm-hmm. And it it's like you and I talked previously a little bit about like narcissism. I don't want to make this whole conversation about it, but there's sort of you kind of touched on it because that is if somebody is constantly taking from you, and I've been in the unfortunate situation. I've had a couple of people in my lives who I found out later they were narcissists. I didn't understand what was happening because it's sort of 
you don't realize how much you're giving and how much you're being manipulated. And this can happen in business too. I mean, I've seen it. I've heard of, you know, CEOs are sort of, some of them are known for that and they, they get ahead anyway. I mean, how do you explain that? Is it, are there parts of narcissism that are helpful in business? I guess is my question. I want to say this, and this, this may not land well with your audience or may not even land well with mine, but narcissists are chief puppet masters. They just know how to weave the web and how to get you tangled in it and how to get you tangled over your own thinking, how to make you question yourself and how to believe them. And so that's why it's important to get to the core and the root of what you believe about you so that you see their tricks before they come. I did a video. This is old video. It had to be a year and a half old. And I said, be careful for the Professor X's. Now, we know if anyone's ever watched X-Men, Professor X is, quote unquote, one of the good guys. Uh, but he also, for the comic book geeks, he turned into Onslaught at some point during that journey. And obviously, he's a telepath that has the ability to control the minds of many, which is why Magneto always had his helmet and says, I'm not letting you in my head. And so be <laughs> careful for those who have the ability to, to get into that mind control pattern with you. Because they understand they they can almost sniff out the weaknesses. And for the mm -hmm. empaths, I mean, those of you guys who just care, you care very deeply, you feel everything, you're always there for everybody, especially those of you who are marketing and copywriting. It could be that you're, you're marketing and writing copy and, and dedicating energy where it's not warranted because mm -hmm. you've let somebody in your head and you don't understand the psychology behind your own thinking. It reminds me of, I read a book recently, I can't think of the name offhand, on marketing. And one of the things that stood out to me in it I've been thinking about it ever since. It's like that big of a thing. I've always wondered how people get caught up in cults and how they, you know, I, I've often said like, how can I, you know, I can't get people to buy like a $25 product, let alone give up their entire life savings and give everything to me. What is it? And in this book, it said that these, the people who are able to do that have an unwavering confidence. They never waver in their message and I'm thinking of some political figures who are the same way. It doesn't matter how wrong they are. They will never admit it. They will stand by no matter how what happens. They will make a reason for why it happened that way. And it's definitely not their fault. And that cleared up things in my own mind. And I thought, you know, that is that's so true. Because I started thinking about the people who are like that. And they never back down. And it's something that I wish I could do a little bit of that, but sometimes you know, we tend to doubt ourselves. But does that make sense to you? Like the, the confidence? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And, and the moment that what they say and what they do in their actions come into question, they will gaslight and they can yeah. run a whole smear campaign against those who come against them. I, in the past, have I've worked for a serial narcissist. It's why, especially because we're talking about marketing to not trash you know, your old managers. I've had amazing managers throughout the majority of my career. Before about seven years, and, and mainly the last three years, um, in, in working somewhere, the 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 CEO was it was a narcissist, and I think they meant well, genuinely in their mind's eye, they they believed they were right, and they had great qualities about them, but there were also certain qualities I saw that that weren't so great. Mm -hmm. But I had to learn what is it in me, and I, I want to speak to your audience. I had a video, an old video called "The Narcissist Within." That need to be needed. What is it? What does it feed in you to feed into what they're offering? Right. And when you go against it and when you don't get a, such a favorable reaction from the narcissist, what is it in you that is anxious? It's because you want something from them. You think you can receive something from them that affirms you. Right. And so when you get behind the psychology of the way you think and what you believe about yourself, and that goes, you know, into your childhood, into your teenage, teenage years and those formative years, 
it develops more than just a confidence. You see coaches talking about that stuff all the time. I'm a confidence coach. I'm like, okay, well, what type of confidence? Like that? It's all the surface psycho babble that, that makes no sense. Right. The actual core of what you believe. You can spot the narcissist and you don't play their games. And even when you're gaslit, you realize this community wasn't for me. This is not my portion. All right. Yeah. And speaking of that, so it segues right into, so maybe you realize that it's within yourself. How do you know when you need like your services, like some kind of coaching or counseling? What are some signs? I would say the signs that early signs are when you are struggling with a lot of anxiety and you can't quite pinpoint, like, why am I so anxious? Why am I losing sleep? Why do I find myself as far as where it's your profession? I'm the first to get there, the last to leave. Why do I feel like I have to put out fires that are not my responsibility? Have I even defined what my non-negotiables are? We see a ton of content about non-negotiables, especially in entrepreneurship, but most people have not even sat down to define that. Um, and then you look at your family relationships, you know, which are often falling apart and you don't often know like, why is that I feel very loyal towards my most toxic parent, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Usually people pleasers are always parent pleasers first. It starts at home and that follows you into your profession. So when a person actually sees that they have wasted so much time and also even wasted revenue and they look at the the briar patch of the relationships in their life, they say, okay, that's when you need to seek Jamal services because I know he's not just going to coach me in the moment, but we're actually going to go back going to go back where it's healthy. Uh, I tell each of my clients, if you go too deep, too fast, you might just drown. Mm-hmm. And so I can able, I can discern, you know, within a consultation in the first session, this is the pace that we need to go at that's healthy for you that actually gets you some results. Mm-hmm. So when people come to you, what are some of the things that you look for? Like, is there ever someone that you say, you know what, I just can't help this person or it's just outside of the scope of what you do? And how do you know when they'd be someone who you know you could help? That's a really great question. And I'm answering that twofold. So as far as those who I cannot help, obviously I'm a certified counselor, work as a consultant and I do public speaking. So I know if someone says I'm doped up on like 11 psychotropic meds, I'm not a clinician. And obviously from a legal standpoint, I want to give them the biggest bang for their buck. And so I'm going to actually refer them to a clinician because one, if they're on that, they may need that. If they need to wean from it, they need to do that with the consultation of a doctor and a medical professional. Um, We know in entrepreneurship, you learn very quickly what you cannot do and -hmm. what you are not supposed to be doing. And so, and also let's just say for a person, I mean, you know, when you work in wellness and mental health and, and that stuff like that, a lot of times it's industry agnostic. And so if someone says, Hey, I'm a brand new heroin addict, I know that you probably need to be in some sort of residential program, (laughs) you know, because if, if your habits have taken you to the point where there's that type of addiction, you need to sit somewhere and just sweat that out. Now, I've had people where it takes them to an addiction of overeating or pornography. Those things we can work with, you know, but when it comes to stuff like heavy drug use, that I know that I cannot work with that type of person. Um, and not that they're beyond my help, but they're just not within the scope. I don't want to offer them something and, and have them begin to spend revenue. And I can't really help them and give them the big bang for their buck. Um, right. For those when I am consulting and I determine, okay, you're going to be a perfect fit. Your ideal client is always going to be a past version of yourself, you know, and part of my why is saving people most of the time that I wasted throughout my young adult years. And so, you know, usually the median age, I would say, would be early 40s. I mean, I've had clients as old as nearly 60, <laughs> but um, median, when you clump all those ages together, that young and that, you know, kind of mid-professional, when they see like, man, I have really, even in my business, 
I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm all over the place. Mm-hmm. And also in their home life, a lot of times in their marriage, you know, with their partner, there's misplaced and uncommunicated expectations in their business. They find themselves, it's not so much systems and processes because there's coaches that actually do that. You know, I'm working behind the psychology of how you think. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to deal with childhood you, teenage you, and adult you. We're going to deal with you in three different phases. And we're actually going to get to the root of what you believe about you. Because what mm-hmm. you believe is going to affect the way that you move about the earth. So when a person comes to me and I see like those tendencies, the tendency to, even on their job, not advocate for themselves, the tendency to almost play themselves down, the tendency to set themselves up for failure or to create a glass ceiling. I'm like, okay, you're the one. I definitely want to work with you. Or even those high achievers, high achievers, because I, I know what that's like to overachieve. And when you bring more to the table than is necessary, we want to pare that down. And actually put you in your lane like secretariat so you can blaze that trail. <laughs> secretariat. There is a callback from a while ago, right? <laughs> I know that makes total sense. Are there some common issues? I imagine you work with people in all different types of occupations. Is there a particular issue that maybe people in marketing or I don't know if you get copywriters that come to you. I mean, we have our own set of problems, I guess, but <laughs> it's like, what, is there something in particular with marketers? that they tend to, to struggle with? Yeah, definitely be the way we started, the B word, the burnout, because they're doing so much. They're putting so much content on multiple platforms. And a lot of times, especially I would say when it comes to the female marketers, sometimes the guilt, um, because women, professional women get shamed for being amazing, phenomenal professionals. They get seen different. Whereas mm-hmm. a male would be seen as, oh, he's excellent for doing that. Oh, how could she not be home with the kids? How could she travel during that time? You know, and so getting them to the place where they live the life they're called to live without guilt and without shame, that undue, sh- I mean, there's certain guilt that actually puts you in a good position, <laughs> yeah. but there's certain guilt that actually can can cause you, can weigh you down. And then you begin to create glass ceilings and sabotage yourself. Mm-hmm. And for male marketers, uh, it's simply to actually dealing with the overachieving, like how exactly, what are you putting out there? in the market that is actually necessary for you. And then when you're having those bad days, those tough days, when sales aren't going well, what's your outlet? You know, mm-hmm. is your outlet some type of drug of choice? Is it pornography? You know, is it stepping out on your marriage? Any any number of those shameful things, you know, that we'd rather not talk to other people about because we show up online and we're killing it, we're crushing it, but we're being crushed inside. It's like, okay, we actually need to not just have some talk therapy through this, but get to the root of what am I believing that causes me to defer to this? Mm-hmm. This is my outlet. And social media, I mean, that's something that as good as it can be in some aspects, it's even LinkedIn, I find I'm very competitive, like self-competitive. And I sometimes just have to take a break because I'm comparing myself to people who are telling me there's somebody the other day and I know that this person's been on the platform way less than I have been. And they were talking about having 10, 20,000 followers. And I try not to focus on it, but it's really hard. Like I have, I don't know, 6,500, but it's not something I'm really working at, like actively to grow. I just focus on the people I think I can help, but it's Mm -hmm. still, how do you not get caught up in that whole comparison? That is so funny as you should mention that because it's typically the male clients that struggle mostly with the comparison. I'm not saying that the females don't, but Definitely with the guys, because we're always sizing each other up. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember saying to a client <laughs> at last year, because people always say, comparison is a thing for joy. How many times have we heard that, Linda? Yeah. But also say comparison is also the on-ramp of mind-numbing stupidity. Because you're comparing yourself. You think about it, social media. So we have Canva, Fiverr. 
Now we have tons of AI tools against a curated image. And we don't really know what's behind the scene. I mean, you think in my profession, obviously, from a legal standpoint, I have to be super discreet. But so many of these people that are quote unquote crushing it, I'm getting DMs that, okay, I've been suicidal. You don't see those things. Yeah. So let's let's yeah. liken it to a football game. Those of us that are busy and, you know, those of us that have a life off social media, I can't catch every NFL game. That's three hours. So some games, I'm just catching the highlights. I'm not seeing the red flags. I'm not seeing the booth reviews. Certainly not seeing the injuries. I'm just seeing those great three and a half minute ESPN plays. And I'm like, oh, let's go. Okay, at least my team won. A lot of times that's social media. And so we're comparing ourselves against the highlights, but not the full game because we don't know. And that's when we have to do that, not dopamine detox, but social media detox and just pull back and say, where is my lane? You know, I mean, you're a serial entrepreneur. When you focus on that thing that you're doing, people will follow you. Mm-mm. People will come to find you. And it's really for clients getting their minds off what everyone else is doing. Right. You know, when I came onto the platform, I'm pretty new to social media. I just been on social media for three years. I didn't watch anyone's content, didn't watch anyone's videos. I just posted what I believed in. And I'm mm-hmm. surprised that people started following it. Mm-hmm. I had my own voice. I didn't want to sound like anybody who's Gary Vee's doing this, this right. And that's good for them. <laughs> What's Jamal doing? I have a unique fingerprint specifically for me. I've been created in the image of God. Why would I follow what some other man is doing? They may have a, yeah. a template that actually works in a proven formula, but I have my own. Yeah. And every other day you have somebody posting about, here's the best times to post. And you have to post, you know, 8 a.m. And my, my question has always been 8 a.m. in what time zone? People are all over the world. So, you know, 8 or 9 a.m. and you have to do it every day. And I just found it just so overwhelming. And it's, it, you know, and it's just LinkedIn. I'm not even on everything else, you know, so it's just, it can be hard. But, uh, but I know what you're saying. We don't know the backstory. We don't know what really no. is going on with people. So you mentioned this. So how do we go beyond, you know, the brand and communication and actually enjoy the revenue that we are making? Because it seems like we don't even have downtime to do that. I'm so glad you asked that question because that's been like, if you've, and I've seen you on some of the last posts, it's like you have all this revenue, but you don't even enjoy it. We don't enjoy the revenue because we don't give ourselves a chance to, especially those of us that are overachievers and, and high achievers. We don't celebrate the wins. We have so many little wins, so many mini wins. And you think of some of the, the best athletes, the Brady's, the, the Tiger Woods, the Brett Favre, the Serena Williams. It's like they get a grand slam. They're like, I'm just ready for the next one. They get a championship. I'm ready for the next one. They don't, you know, they, they hate losing more than they love winning. And a lot of us in the market, you know, no matter what genre we fall into, we can be that way. And it's important to go up to purposely and intentionally, I want to say, go against the grain of that and learn and practice celebrating the wins. Whatever you practice is going to be the very thing that you perfect. And so for clients, it's getting them to actually practice those wins, especially for my perfectionists. And I had a client where, and she had a really rough week. I mean, just as a wife, as a mother, and as a woman really connected with her faith and the way she wants to see things go in the family and in business. And so many things that would seem like fails, we rewrote, literally sat down and rewrote the narrative where it's like, you know, that's a win for you. But it changes the trajectory. I had to paradigm shift it. So she could actually celebrate. And when you change the way you think, you change the way you act. And so marketers can begin to enjoy their revenue when they celebrate the little wins. And then they look at the pocket of all their work, you know, look at the spreadsheet of what your layout for the week is and say, is that something that needs my energy? Is that something that needs my time? 
Is that something that needs my attention? What is the priority? Actually asking questions instead of going through life mindlessly and aimlessly. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've worked with coaches that that have really emphasized that, like, what are your wins? And sometimes it's, it's like hard. Well, there weren't any, but then you have to dig a little bit. Well, there was that, you know, I had a lead that came in and maybe it didn't work out, but somebody came to me because of a post I did or something. So even those little things, right. That, mm-hmm. that can mean something. Yeah. And so when I talk about like, so I, I have coaches I've worked with, what makes you different? Cause there's a lot of coaches out there and a lot of coaches that say they can change your life. And so how do you differentiate yourself? I would say one of the easiest differentiators for me is I have 16 years of experience. <laughs> And 10 years of experience in my profession, this is going to really rub some people wrong because I know since COVID, a lot of people have, have hit the mark and run and hey, you're getting your bag, go get it. But what makes me different is I didn't get laid off from a job and decided to be a coach <laughs> because that's something I wanted to do. I've been doing this for years and I understand human behavior really well. I come from, you know, in my early childhood years, an abusive childhood, uh, an abusive childhood. And so my why is not just, oh, I got laid off. Now I'm a coach. My why is actually attached to who I am. And so I can understand my client very, very well and understand the psychology behind what they think and get to the root with them. Um, this is not just great marketing. And I know we're talking to marketers who, who know how to market things. Um, I go beyond the brand and live in that season with my client and get them lasting results. Um, I could easily use AI and say, what's 10 things that will get this person results? And AI can, and I can post that. I'm not doing any of that foolishness. So what differentiates yeah. me from most other coaches is the fact that I'm going to go to the root. I'm, we're going to deal in a moment, but we got to go back first because there's some things in the past that are actually hindering your present and definitely going to hinder your future. Do you get resistance with people saying, I don't want to do that? Like, it's just too painful or I don't see the point. Not that, not that I would say ever anything like that. <laughs> I've just, I just question sometimes because I've, I've had uh, people say, you know, you don't really don't have to go back to your childhood. You just have to deal with what you're dealing with now. So what would you say to someone who said that? I would say, look at the tenor and the pulse of your life. <laughs> you know, look at your repeatable habits. Are they habits that are stemming from something that you're not putting your finger on? And I would say the one time I did get resistance, you know, you can't force something on anyone. And I'm talking to marketers who oftentimes are pushing the needle to force something, but the person has to be ready to do the work. If you want to dwell on the surface and you want to go to a Tony Robbins conference and hug everybody and spend $7,000, do that. But if you want real results to get to the root uh, of your issue so the fruit takes care of itself, then find someone to work with that actually fits your personality, that actually can understand you and will live in that season with you and get you some real results. And so, again, if someone's not meant to work with me, I don't force it. I kick the dust off my feet and keep walking. And if they are, let's go. Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it would really benefit a lot of people, especially nowadays. And I just read an article this morning about how AI the creator of AI, ChatGPT specifically, is talking about the dangers of it. Like we don't even know who we're talking to anymore, and who's saying things. Like, like you said, you can just pop something up. And as a copywriter, I would never use it to write something. I've, you know, I could see the benefit to outlining or that, but it's it's scary because you don't know if the person is really saying that. Or even on a video, they have deep fakes. I mean, it's kind of crazy. So I think what you do is more important than ever to really be able to understand yourself and to be able to put yourself out there, you know, authentically. So, yeah. So where can people find out more about you and where can they contact you? 
Two of the easiest places. Uh, one on LinkedIn. I'm the only Jamal that spells my name the way I do. <laughs> J-A-H-M-A-A-L on LinkedIn. So I'm pretty careful about the footprint I leave because I'm literally yeah. the only Jamal. The only one. All of LinkedIn. Uh, and also my website, www.listenthenspeak.com. Awesome. Uh, and I'm also partnered with Tiger Hall. That's where I do a lot of the professional coaching. And I pre- partner with the Wisdom app as well. So. Oh, great. Okay. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time, Jamal. And uh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Linda. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it as fun to listen to as it was for me to record. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. And for additional info, visit my website at thecopyworks.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.